Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. I would like for you to turn in your Bibles with me to the Old Testament book of Judges. The Old Testament book of Judges, chapter 6. Judges, chapter 6. After Israel conquered Canaan, the Hebrew people formed a loose tribal confederation that had no central government, no recognized leader, and no organized militia. It was kind of like when the United States was being born and we had the 13 colonies. There was no central government, there was no recognized leader, there was no organized militia, and it was just simply a loose confederation of colonies. Well, this is what Israel was after they moved into the promised land. And because of this disorganization, if you will, they often experienced crisis. You all know what crisis is. Anybody in here never experienced a crisis? They experienced crisis. Sometimes the crisis came from neighboring nations that wanted to invade and conquer them. Sometimes the crisis came from Canaanites that lived within the tribal territories but hadn't been completely conquered as God commanded Israel to do. But most of the time, Israel's crises resulted from what I call the cycle of weak faith. The cycle of weak faith. And there's a graph at the bottom of your sermon notes that depict that cycle of weak faith. Like all nations, Israel had a problem with sin. Their chief sin was idolatry, the worship of pagan gods. And you would think that after all the children of Israel had been through with God, that they would never turn away from God. But even we have that problem today, don't we? Before entering the promised land, God warned the children of Israel about idolatry. I am the Lord your God, he said in Deuteronomy chapter 5. I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You will have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters under the earth. You shall not worship them, nor shall you serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. 
To worship idols is to hate God. To bow down to another that you revere as God is to despise and to reject the true and living God. Furthermore, it's demon worship. These idols represented power and wealth and weather and war, life and death and so on and so forth. Idolatry plays upon the superstition and the fears of people. But the worship of the Lord God plays upon the faith of an individual. Idolatry often involves sex, which makes it very difficult to resist. A phenomenon that is seen in Israel throughout the Old Testament is this cyclical pattern of weak faith. And again, I point your attention to that graph at the bottom of your sermon notes. You see, the Jews were faithful to God for a while until they decided they would like to play around with sin for a bit and they chose then to start worshiping the gods of the Canaanites, the gods of their neighbors, so on and so forth. This sin led to apostasy, which is a complete turning away from God. God visited their sin with judgment, which in turn led to crisis. This resulted in repentance, which moved God to forgive and to deliver them. That deliverance brought restoration which brought Israel back to faithfulness to God, only to be repeated again and again and again and again for over 1,450 years. This cycle of weak faith repeated itself in the life of the Israelites. 1,475 years to be exact, the Lord God put up with this until he said enough is enough. And he allowed Israel to be conquered by Assyria, then Babylon, Persia, Greece, and finally Rome. God suspended his covenant with Israel and removed them from the promised land in AD 70. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. And beloved, God's attitude then is his attitude now. He doesn't change. God is immutable. 
He doesn't change in his attitudes. He doesn't change in his ways. He doesn't change in his will. Because he is holy, he is righteous, he is perfect in all of his attributes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if God was despised by the people and visited judgment upon their sin, then he will do it again and has done it again down through the ages. Just go back and review your history books, dear friends. And we are fools as a nation to believe that we're exempt from God's wrath upon our sin. Before the period of the kings in the Old Testament, 350-year, 380-year period, after Israel moved into the land and before Saul was the first anointed king, 350 years, the tribes of Israel were ruled by judges. Now, a judge is not like a judge today that sits behind a bench and makes decisions in court cases. A judge in the Old Testament was a local leader, usually a military person, who rescued Israel from their enemies and reestablished God's justice in the land according to Mosaic law. And as I said, over a 340, 350-year period, God raised up 13 such judges. Three of them are notable. Deborah, who was the only female judge. Samson, the strongest of all of the judges. And Gideon, whom Scripture tells us is the greatest, or was the greatest, of all of the judges. I want us to think about Gideon Today, and I want to draw from his story in Judges chapter 6 through Judges chapter 8. I want to draw from his story three important lessons. Number one, lesson number one God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Lesson two. God is gracious and patient with us, especially when our faith is weak. God is gracious and patient with us, especially when our faith is weak. And the third lesson is God is always faithful. God is always faithful. Most of us don't consider ourselves to be courageous, and those of us who think that we are courageous don't think of ourselves as being extraordinarily courageous. For the most part, we want to live our lives, don't we? Nod your head, yes. We want to live our lives in peace. And we want to be able to pursue our dreams and our goals with as little controversy as possible. Is there an amen for that? Well, I heard mumbling, but I didn't hear any amens. But I guess, you know, that's okay. Well, I know I'm that way, whether you're that way or not. 
I, there are times I just want to live my life in peace and to pursue my own dreams and my own goals with as little controversy as possible. I hate controversy because that leads to confrontation and I hate confrontation. But we live in a world that doesn't permit that. I don't know of anyone whose apple cart hasn't been upset at one time or another by something that was unforeseen, unplanned, or unwelcomed in their life. It could have been financial. It could have been health. It could have been vocational. It could have been family. It could have been political. It could have been relationships. Sometimes it's just flat meanness. People just want to be mean. And what do we want to do? We want to be mean back at them. That leads to controversy. It makes confrontation inevitable. And we don't like that. We don't like that. I want you to take a look at... um, Chapter 6, verse 1. We're going to speak to this in just a moment. But in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8... In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, you don't need to turn to it, but just reference it. The Apostle Peter writes, Be of sober spirit and be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil. You know who the devil is? It's not the one in the blue dress. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And isn't it true that sometimes it seems like Satan camps out on our lawn messing up life before it ever gets through the door? He just, you know, he follows us everywhere, messing things up. We try to do things right, but he dogs us, seeing to it that it never comes out right. But you know, he's been around forever, literally. He's learned a lot over the years. He knows how to push our buttons. He knows how to twist our arms. He knows the weaknesses in our armor. He knows the patterns of our lives. And he plays on those things like a master musician. He crosses those strings Well, Gideon, back to Gideon. Gideon was just your average Joe, okay? He was trying to make a living, trying to get along, trying to live his life as best he could in the midst of a seven-year crisis. Look at Judges 6, verse 1. Then the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into into the hands of the Midians seven years. The sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian seven years. Now, who are the Midianites? We need to get context here. The Midianites were descendants of Abraham, through his second wife, Keturah. After Sarah had died, he married Keturah and had children. And one of his children, uh, through Keturah, was named Midianite. 
uh, Midian, and his descendants became the Midianites. So the Jews were half-brothers and sisters to the Midianites. They were related to each other. When Moses fled Egypt after killing the taskmaster, he went to the land of Midian to hide out for the rest of his life. He married a Midianite woman named Zephrah. And he tended his father-in-law's flocks and herds until he met the Lord on Mount Sinai. Over the next 350 years from the time of Moses until the time of Gideon, for the next 350 years, the Midianites became a very large tribe of nomadic desert, desert dwellers that lived in the deserts to the east of Israel. So they were neighbors. Not only related, but they were also neighbors. But because Israel had forsaken God by worshiping idols, again, this is the sixth judge, so this has happened six times before, because they decided to worship idols again, God sent the Midianites this time to be a burr under their saddle for seven long years years. And they were busy pillaging towns, uh, burning uh, fields and orchards, destroying crops, stealing and killing livestock, and all kinds of other mischief that we won't speak about this morning. And as usual, the people of God facing this crisis cried out to God for help. And God, in his love and in his compassion, for his people sent Gideon to save them from the Midianites. Look at verses 11 through 15. Same chapter, same book, verses 11 through 15. The angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak tree that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite. And his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, which was not a recognition that this was the angel of the Lord. It was simply a cursory title of respect. It's the same as saying, Sir. So Gideon said to him, Sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord looked at him and said, Go, in this your strength, and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? And he said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. Gideon is carrying on a conversation with some stranger. We know it as the angel of the Lord, what scripture says, and we know this to be the pre-incarnate Christ speaking with Gideon. But Gideon didn't know who this individual was. This, Gideon began, this angel, this our Lord, began to speak to Gideon about 
possibilities. But possibilities that required faith and courage. Lesson number one. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Gideon, by all accounts, was a timid and a cautious man when the Lord visited him. He was minding his own business, threshing wheat at the foot of the hill in Ophrah, in the tribal land of Manasseh. Gideon didn't know who the stranger was that was speaking to him. But again, we know it to be the angel of the Lord because Scripture tells us it was the angel of the Lord. Therefore, we know it is the Christ himself speaking with Gideon. And we know this from the nature of the conversation if you continue to read through chapter 8. Now, Gideon was minding his own business, doing his own thing, hoping somehow to blend into the woodwork so he wouldn't be noticed by the Midianites and he could keep the wheat for his family and keep it out of the hands of the Midianites. And this stranger appears and he's sitting over there underneath the oak tree and one of the things that people are prone to do when they meet some strangers, well at least Nancy's father, Strike up a conversation with them. Morris Young could talk about anything to anyone. He was just a conversationalist. He was, he was one of those kinds of individuals that, you know, he just, he liked to talk to people about stuff. And it seems like Gideon was prone to this kind of attitude. And so he began speaking to this stranger that was speaking to him. And like most people want to do, they want to share their opinions on the sad state of affairs that's happening in the surrounding territories. And so when the Lord spoke to Gideon and greeted him, the Lord be with you, Gideon responded, hey, fella, if God is with us, why is all of this stuff happening to us? Where is the miraculous power that our fathers talked about when God delivered them from Egypt? It seems that the Lord has abandoned us and left us to the devices of our enemies. We feel that way about God sometimes, don't we? Don't we? Yes, we do. As far back as I can remember, I remember people who've always asked the question when something bad happens, when some crisis arises, when some difficulty comes into their life, they ask, well, where's God in all of this? Where's God in all of this? When I lost my job and there was no income, when we had to pick up and move somewhere else to find work, where was God when we faced that crisis? When family members were abusing me as a child, when my marriage was falling apart, when my loved one died from a disease or from a disaster, when my father 
or my son or my brother was killed in the war? Where was God in all of that? And most recently, people are asking, where is God in the midst of this pandemic? And even more so, people are asking, why is God permitting all of this chaos and hatred and violence and lies and deceit that's tearing our country apart? Where is God? That was Gideon's attitude. That was Gideon's question. The Midianites have been tormenting us now for seven years and there's been no relief. Where is God in all of this? Why would you say God be with you when it's obvious that God is not with us? We feel powerless, do we not? We feel powerless to do anything about this stuff. Gideon felt powerless to do anything about the Midianites. That's why he was minding his own business, threshing wheat in Ophrah, when the stranger said, God be with you. How can God be with us when the Midianites are wrecking everything? Lesson two. God is gracious and is patient with us, especially when our faith is weak. The stranger said to Gideon in verse 12, Lord, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. And I'm sure in Gideon's mind he was saying, <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> God is with us, and yeah, I'm a valiant warrior. <laughs> Boy, have you gotten that wrong. You haven't been around this place for very long, have you? And then in verse 14, he goes on to say, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? And I'm sure, because Gideon doesn't know who this person is, I'm sure in the back of his mind he's saying, Who are you? To enlist me to go and deliver the people of Israel from the Midianites. Are you insane? Notice his answer in verse 15. He said, Sir, O Lord, sir, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. In other words, I am a nobody. I am a nobody from a nobody family in a nobody tribe in Israel. What can I do? Leave me alone and let me do my threshing. But God, God will not permit our plans to stand in the way of his plans. He will not allow our plans to stand in the way of his plans. Furthermore, he saw in Gideon what Gideon could not see in himself. He saw in Gideon courage and faith. But Gideon didn't see those things in his own life. You know, we often have crutches that excuse us 
from serving the Lord. They don't excuse us. We use them to excuse us from serving the Lord. Or we enjoy our comforts so much that we pass on opportunities to follow God's will. Maybe we have jobs that occupy far too much of our time and our interest. Maybe we have a cozy retirement that we want to spend for a while. Or maybe we wait for other people to step up into leadership roles that we would rather not fill ourselves. Perhaps we've served long enough and it's time for somebody else to serve. Or maybe we're just too tired. Maybe we're just too tired. But you know what? We can only hide behind the hill on the threshing floor for so long before God takes our crutches away and he pushes us out of our comfort zone so that we will go and do his work. And that's what the story of Gideon is really all about. And I wanted to parallel this story with God calling Moses, but it would take too long. Moses offered every excuse that he could think of when God approached him on Mount Sinai and asked him to go down, or really commanded him to go down and to confront Pharaoh and, and, ta- and take charge of the release of the children of Israel. He gave him every excuse he could give, and God countered every excuse with the truth until finally Moses said, why don't you choose someone else? And God said, because I chose you. And here is Gideon offering excuses complaining and whining. And in his own mind, these were all legitimate responses to what this stranger was asking him. But the bottom line is, Gideon, I chose you. And I want you to go. And I want you to deal with the Midianites. All Gideon wanted to do is what everybody wants to do. All he wanted to do was to be left alone, to go back threshing his wheat, to go back to his life, and to go back complaining about the Midianites. But all God wanted to do was to deliver Israel from the Midianites and make Gideon a strong, courageous, and faithful leader of God's people. Gideon didn't believe that he had the strength nor the courage to make a difference. He didn't have an answer to the Midianite problem. But listen to the words of Shannon Alder. Shannon Alder said, quote, Courage doesn't happen when you have all the answers. It happens when you face the questions that you've been avoiding your whole life. I love that. Courage is not having all the answers. It happens when you face the questions that you've been avoiding all of your life. Gideon didn't have the answers. 
And Gideon was afraid. That's why he was hiding at the threshing floor behind a hill. So the Midianites couldn't find him. He was afraid. He wasn't wanting to draw attention to himself. But the Duke, John Wayne, said, quote, Courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. Courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. God is patient with us. Because He knows our faith is weak, He is patient with us. Because He knows our potential, He sees in us what we do not see in ourselves, and He's patient with us. To draw us out of our timidity. To draw us out of our fearfulness. To draw us out of our comfortability. So that he can use us in a powerful way to accomplish his will and purpose. Was Gideon scared? Absolutely. Wouldn't you be? But one of the things that God is going to do to bring Gideon to the place where Gideon needed to be for God to use him, was to prove to him that he is faithful. Always faithful. In everything in life, God is faithful. Look at verse 16. Here's where the Lord reveals himself to Gideon. In verse 16, he says, Surely what? I will be with you. Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites, or you shall defeat Midian as one man. They're only going to see you, Gideon, leading the effort to free Israel from the enemy. They're only going to see you take charge. They're only going to see you stepping out in faith. But Gideon, I'm going to be in your back pocket. I'm going to be right with you. I will be with you. Gideon, Gideon believed himself to be a nobody. But God believed in Gideon to be a somebody. Gideon saw himself as timid and weak in faith. But God saw Gideon as a man of courage, of conviction, even though he was a man of caution. Courage. Courage must be tempered in the crucible of testing. Courage must be tempered in the crucible of testing. So God called for Gideon to perform sacrifice. Gideon brought God a sacrifice and prepared the sacrifice. And the angel of the Lord took the end of his staff and touched the sacrifice and it blew up in flames and was completely consumed. He demonstrated the power of God in consuming the sacrifice. Then God told Gideon to tear down the altar 
to the pagan god Baal and then to cut down the pole that was dedicated to the female goddess Asherah that the people of the town worshipped. Tear down that altar. Cut down that Asherah. And I want you to build a new altar. And I want you to sacrifice a bull on that altar to the Lord God. And Gideon obeyed. He obeyed. Even though he was afraid to. He did it at night where nobody can see him do it. He was afraid to do that. But he, did, he obeyed the Lord. He did it anyway. And he saw no repercussion from his obedience to the Lord. Then when the Midianites and the Amalekites and their allies from the east invaded the valley of Jezreel, Gideon rallied the tribes of Manasseh, his own family tribe, the tribe of Asher, the tribe of Zebulun, the tribe of Naphtali to fight with him. But Gideon's faith was still weak. Gideon's faith was still weak and so he asked God for a sign that would give him courage and that would give him strength. Read with me verses 36 through 40. Judges 6. 36 through 40. Then Gideon said to God, If you will deliver Israel through me as you have spoken, behold, I will put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only and it is dry on all, all the ground, then I will know that you will deliver Israel through me as you have spoken. And it was so. When he arose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he drained the dew from the fleece, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not let your anger burn against me that I may speak once more. Please, let me make a test once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry, only on the fleece and let there be dew on the ground and God did so that night for it was dry only on the fleece and dew was on the ground Gideon saw the power of God consume the sacrifice Gideon saw the power of God to keep the villagers at peace when he tore down the pagan altar to Baal and the Ashtoreth Gideon saw the Midianites and the Amalekites and the others move into the valley of Jezreel and courage began to spring up in him and he rallied his brothers to go and to fight but his faith was still weak. That's okay. God is patient with us. God is gracious with us even when our faith is still weak. And he will take what faith we have and use it to bring victory to his people. And also to continue to promote his will and his purpose. Now, beloved, let me just speak to an aside here. We don't need to do these things today. We do not need to lay a fleece before the Lord today. We do not need to ask the Lord for signs and wonders today. We have the word of God. We have the full counsel of God with us. And above and beyond that, 
we have the Holy Spirit whom God has sent to us to take Jesus' place in our lives. There's no need for the Urim and the Thummim. There is no need for laying out a fleece or a sign from God to know God's will. Gideon knew God's will. He was just lacking in faith and in courage, but he knew God's will. And God knew that Gideon was weak in his faith. He was patient and he was gracious with Gideon as he is with you and with me. And you know the rest of the story. I don't need to read the rest of the story to you. We tell these stories all the time to our little ones. God reduced the size of Gideon's army from 32,000 men to 300 men. They faced an army of 130,000 men. And the only weapons that Gideon could use in facing the enemy was Each man had a clay pot, and in that clay pot there was a small torch of fire, and each man also had a ram's horn. The men positioned themselves around the valley of Jezreel in three groups of a hundred men, and at Gideon's signal, this was at dark, this was at night, pitch night, at Gideon's signal, they broke the pitchers, they held up the torches, they blew on the ram's horn and they cried out for the Lord and for Gideon. And scripture tells us it was God who routed the enemy by putting fear and panic in their hearts so that they turned on each other and killed each other. I, you know, I can just, I can just envision this in my mind. Gideon with these 300 men telling them, okay guys, here's what we're going to (laughs) do. Huh? Leave your swords back home. I've got, I've got clay pots here. We've got fire and clay pots and there's a ram's horn here. I want you to take these guys and I want you to spread out all around the enemy camp. We're going to go at night. It's going to be stealth. We're going to go at night and that's what we're going to do. And I'm sure all of the men around said, yeah, right on, that's a great plan. Yeah, we're going to do that. Uh-huh, good. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. Say what? <laughs> what? <laughs> huh? But you see... The battle wasn't Gideon's. And friends, the battle never is Gideon's. The battle is always the Lord's battle. It is God who desires to defeat the enemy around us, but it is also God who desires to defeat the enemy within us. The battle is the Lord's. Gideon knew that. He understood that. Faith had to be tested. Courage had to be tested. But sometimes, dear friends, that faith and that courage has to be mobilized out to where the enemy is at. And it has to be applied as God desires it to be applied. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, Proverbs chapter 3, 
Verses 5 and 6, do not lean to your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Philippians 4 verse 13, the apostle Paul writes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All things through Christ who strengthens me. God can work, listen, God can work in anyone and through anyone to accomplish His will. But we have to rely upon God for that victory. God can use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. He is gracious and He is patient with us, especially when our faith is weak. And never forget that when our faith is weak. And when our courage is low, God is always faithful and will fulfill His calling in our lives if we will only trust in Him. We're going to observe the Lord's Supper at this moment, so if you will, take your cup. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, For I have received from the Lord that which I have also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night which he took... Excuse me. For I have received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If we will take the bread, please. Well, fat fingers, just, you know, fat fingers, just, that's why I never went very far playing the piano, it's just fat fingers. Okay. Jesus said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant written in my blood. As often as you drink it, do so remembering me.
Let's stand together. David is going to lead us in a fellowship song as we're dismissed. Praise God from all blessings Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.